Chapter Six of the King's Daughter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The King's Daughter by Pansy. Chapter Six: The Drunkard's Home. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. They walked briskly and merrily down the straggling street until they neared one of the tumble-down shanties which had a way of appearing right in the midst of more pretentious buildings, looking, by that means, more wildly out of place than they would have done had they been somewhat isolated. "'Dear me,' said Dell in dismay, "'what a house, what a place to live in! How should you like to have such a crazy-looking, broken-windowed den as that for a home?' "'I shouldn't like it,' Tommy said emphatically." Well, between you and me, I don't believe the people who live there like it either in the least. I'll tell you what it is, Tommy Truman, when you get to be a man and have a family to take care of, if you go and live in such a way that by and by you have to move your family into such a rickety old hovel as that, why, I shall be dreadfully disappointed in you. I never shall, you may depend, said Tommy, his tones bristling with earnestness and determination. I'm glad you are so decided about it, Dell answered approvingly, because now you see you will likely to set about keeping out of such places, set about it right away, I mean. Things don't happen all at once, you see. They begin to get ready away back, years and years before we think about them. I have a fancy that even that old house didn't come into this wretched condition all at once. Perhaps there was a time when all the lights were in the windows. I know there was, answered Tommy decidedly. When that old fellow moved in here, there wasn't a pane of glass gone, and things looked kind of decent. I remember the night Sam smashed the first one. He jammed his fist right through it, and made it bleed like sixty, too. Further explanation from Tommy was checked by sounds of banging and scuffling issuing from the said house, and finally a scream, full of mingled terror and anger, checked their footsteps, and made Dell's heart, at least, beat faster. "'What can be the matter?' she said anxiously as they stopped and peered back at the house which they had just passed. "'Oh, Sam is drunk, I suppose,' Tommy exclaimed contemptuously. "'He is most every night of his life, and he tears around like a madman. He's got a little girl only six years old, and he whips her like all possessed. He'll kill her sometime, folks think.' "'He's whipping her now,' said Dell excitedly, as the sounds of blows and screams came out to them distinctly on the evening air." "'Tommy, this is dreadful. Can't anything be done? Can't you and I do something, don't you suppose?' And she turned and went with swift steps back to the house. "'Oh, Miss Bronson,' Tommy made answer earnestly, "'we can't do anything with him. When he's drunk he's just like a crazy man. Folks are afraid to go near him.' Nevertheless he followed her back to the door. Dell had her hand on the latch, and, by way of answering, she said, "'Why, it's our Sam. I can see him through the window.' Then she pushed open the door and entered. "'Ain't you awful afraid?' asked Tommy, quaking even to the toes of his new boots, yet at the same time aching for an adventure. But Dell addressed her next remark to the crazy man inside. "'Why, Sam Miller, now aren't you ashamed of yourself?' It does not need picturing the scene that met her eye. It was the same old miserable story that we Americans are so accustomed to and so delight in that we take few, if any, measures to prevent its daily repetition, a drunkard's home, and whatever of squalid wretchedness and filth are needed to enliven the scene, a drunkard's wife cowering in a corner, alternately weeping and screaming, 
while her husband held by the shoulder with iron grip their youngest child, six years old, and struck blows thick and fast with the round of a chair on the bare neck and arms, or yellow head, of the shrieking child. Not an unusual picture in the least, you perceive. In fact, only a very commonplace one, lacking in several details that are often added to make it more striking and noticeable. It was not new to Dell, for with her uncle Edward she had penetrated into all sorts of fearful spots where people huddled and called themselves at home, for this delightful rum, that so beautifies every picture that it touches, was to be found in Boston as well as in Lewiston. But there was one feature of it that was new to her and quite sufficiently striking. It was the first time that she had ever beheld such a picture, having a vivid sense of the fact that her father was the artist entitled to all the honors for the grouping of the scene and the vivid effects that had been produced. Hitherto Dell, looking upon some poor drunken wretch, had shuddered with horror, and mentally expended her bitter, burning indignation on some unknown and terrible villain who had sold the rum. But didn't she know, only too well, where Sam Miller procured his poison? He was a habitual hanger-on at her father's tavern, a regularly engaged help, bringing for her use innumerable pails of water and papers or anything she chose to send him for in the course of the day, and receiving his payment in rum. What an awful background to the picture before her! Meantime, Sam Miller eyed her glaringly and with dangerous menace at first, and then as there stole over his bewildered senses a dim notion of who she was, a faint memory of the numberless kind words and pleasant smiles that she had bestowed on him during the last ten days, must have crossed his brain, for the angry glare gave place to a sheepish side-glance, and muttering something about the young imp needing a whipping every hour, he abruptly thrust her from him, and stumbled rapidly up the rickety stairs out of sight and sound. Then a curious scene ensued. Dell, having met with unexpected success, turned to comfort the wife, who had caught up her child the moment it was released, and met, to her astonishment, angry eyes and tongue. "'And what kind of manners do you call it, for a fine lady to burst into a man's own house in the night, when he's correcting his girl, and ask him if he ain't ashamed of himself?' It's yourself I am thinking might be ashamed, seeing you've no more manners than that. Dell, taken utterly by surprise, was silent with amazement. Not so with Tommy. He burst forth with fiery indignation. Now, Mary Miller, that's a little the meanest thing out. You wanted little Mamie killed out and out, I suppose? He'd have done it with a few more thumps, and you go and come down on the lady that saved her life. A great sob burst from the woman's throat, and she went eagerly about ministering to the suffering child, but her voice retained all its bitterness. "'I don't care,' she muttered. "'Them as thrives by the thing that makes a madman of him ain't the ones to ask him if he's ashamed. He ain't himself, Sam ain't. He wouldn't hurt Mamie more than he would his own self, nor so much, if he knew what he was about. And it's her and hers that's made him what he is.' I know who she is, and who her father is, and I hate em both. I know how she gets her fine clothes and things. My Sam, and lots of others, gets them for her, and she needn't flaunt them here in my face, and tell my Sam to be ashamed of himself. I won't stand it, I won't, so now. And then the hard voice broke down in great bitter tears, that seemed wrung from her against her will, each with a groan. Poor Dell, poor sad-hearted girl, standing there in her youth and beauty, with her white robes floating snowily around her. What an aching heart they covered! She stood for a moment, after the voice ceased, 
transfixed by the sting of the hard words, until Tommy's voice roused her. Come, Miss Bronson, don't stay where people don't know enough to tell a friend from an enemy. Then she went swiftly forward to the woman's side and spoke rapidly. Mrs. Miller, you ought to put cold water on the child's head, bathe the lumps in ice-cold water, and it will keep them from swelling and relieve the pain. And, Mrs. Miller, you think you know me, but you don't. I hate it, this awful business, this selling poison, with such a hatred as I haven't words to express. I am fighting against it, and praying against it, and I will do so as long as I live. Then she turned and went swiftly away. They walked along the deserted street in silence, until they neared Dell's home. Tommy broke the stillness. Miss Bronson, don't feel bad about what that woman said. She was half crazy, you see, and she don't know anything anyhow. Dell smiled drearily, and gave her attention to the three or four men who were staggering and swearing and whistling along the street, having just issued from her father's hospitable doors, every one of them in different stages of intoxication. Oh, Tommy, Tommy, she sighed. We need a temperance society, don't we? Yes, we do, said sturdy Tommy Truman, true to his principles of strict temperance even then, when he would have liked to comfort her heart with the assurances that nothing of the kind was needed. Dell replied with solemn eagerness, Well, Tommy, let us have a temperance society, one that will be worth something. Let you and I work for it with all our might and main, in every way that we can think of. Let us talk about it wherever we go and whoever we see. Let us think about it constantly, and pray about it a great deal. Will you do it, Tommy? And Tommy, standing there in the moonlight, took off his hat and answered with very grave and earnest words. Yes, Miss Bronson, I will. Just as sure as my name is Tommy Truman, I will do everything I possibly can. Dell let herself into the dismal house and paused with a kind of fascinated shudder at the bar-room door. The loungers had dropped off into silence and drowsiness earlier than usual, and their deep snoring breaths, mingled with the sizzling of the kerosene lamp, made the only sounds there were. Tilted back in his armchair, his feet on one of the tables, sat her father, snoring with the rest, the red, bloated face looking more red and more bloated than ever before, and what light there was shone full on his thin hair, singling out from among the black locks many and many a white hair, telling of fast-coming age and swift decay. And he was her father, that bloated, disfigured, disgusting being. She turned and ran with swift steps away from the dreadful sight up to her own room, and turned the creaking button to fasten herself in. Then she struck a light, and dropping into her little sewing-chair gave herself up to something as near as despair as Del Bronson's healthy, cheery nature ever reached. "'It is all true,' she said bitterly. "'Just as that poor woman said, I am a rumseller's daughter. It must seem to lookers-on as though the very clothes I wear are bought with the price of misery, such as I saw to-night. What can I do? My hands are just completely tied.' Uncle Edward doesn't know. If he realized how it was, he would see that I can do nothing. It would be better for me to give up all public attempts, at least. What perfect mockery it must seem to people to have me mixing myself up with a temperance society. I live in a rum tavern, and my father sells the rum with his own hands, yes, and drinks it too. He is almost as bad to-night as those poor wretches that I met. If he were to try and walk, he would stagger along, just as they did, perhaps." Oh, father, father! Oh, why must I have such an one? There are such good fathers in the world. 
and then Dell's words broke into sobs, and there came over her a perfect storm of tears. The weeping lasted but for a few minutes, however. This girl was not much given to crying. After a while she began to move around the room, gathering into their places the things which she had flung from her when she entered, and otherwise tidying the place for the night. During the almost two weeks that she had been at home, she had wrought many changes in the room. The blue paper curtains had given place to full white muslin ones, the bed was spread in white, as also was the little toilet table, and many little feminine touches had softened its hard corners and given it a look of home. Still, there was no sort of comparison between it and that green and white room in Boston, and the poor homesick girl's thoughts went on swift wing back to that dear home that had surrounded her life with so much beauty and brightness. She had regained her composure, but her face was sad, as, having completed her preparations for the night, she took her little Bible and opened to the mark for her few verses of evening bread. She was reading in the book of Jeremiah, and yesterday's date was placed after the tenth verse of the twenty-ninth chapter, so the reading commenced. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Just there she paused, with a sudden glad light flashing in her eyes and glowing over her face. Could her heart read more than those two verses just then? And ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you? Was ever anything so marvelous? Why, she had thought herself alone and desolate and forgotten, and here was the king himself speaking to her in such words, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Yes, she had forgotten. She had thought for a little while that the whole weight of this burden rested on her, whereas it was the Lord's affair. He knew all about it, all, all. The sorrow and the discouragement and the disgrace, and his thoughts were of peace and not of evil. Then shall ye call upon me. Yes, she would. How could she have yielded to discouragement and tears, she, the daughter of the king? Ye shall go and pray, and I will hearken unto you. With these words on her lips, Dell sought an audience with her kingly father, and the burden of her prayer was, O oh, Father in heaven, remember my poor tempted wandering earthly father, give him to me in answer to my prayer, and, Father, do save Sam Miller, that poor miserable man that I saw to-night. Show me how to work for them, help me. It was a very quiet spirit that Dell carried with her to her rest that night, and the last words that her lips murmured as she dropped into sleep were, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. End of chapter 6 Recording by Tricia G.